Hello and welcome to Nightlight. I'm going to read to you a letter that I sent a young man and his wife who had some questions about the operation of the gift of prophecy. And uh, I'm, I'm reading this letter because it it, it's an introduction to a much larger subject that maybe we can unpack a bit more here in this hour together. But uh, it's, it's become a subject that needs to be unpacked and needs to be faced and needs to be discerned. Uh, I've put off addressing some of these things Partly because, it's not because I don't think they're important, I just think so many things are more important, but these things ebb and flow with the events of the times. And right now, uh, with so much confusion seemingly generated by what seems to be failed prophecy or false prophecy, etc., we really need to understand this, especially since prophecy, according to Paul, is for the purpose of edification, exhortation, and comfort. So when you have, when you have confusion related to something that is supposed to be edifying, exhorting, and comforting, then you have a, a, a negative where there should be a positive. Anyway, let me read to you this re reply that I sent this couple, and then I'm going to come back and unpack some of it more in detail. Uh, verses that you both know well, uh, where Paul, of all people, says, we know in part, we prophesy in part. If Paul was aware of the limitations on the gift of prophecy, where does that leave the rest of us? He had to unpack for the Thessalonians some misunderstandings that were circulating in First Thessalonians and again in Second Thessalonians about the, quote, end of the world. Uh, that, that false message had become circulated among them by people who were quoting Paul, claiming that they... They got this from a prophetic word given by Paul. But he ends his letter to them by saying, don't despise prophecy. So prophecy can become despicable. Uh, he told the Corinthians, let two or three prophesy, but let the others judge something we failed to do during the Jesus Movement days. And I'll come back and talk about that more uh, specifically uh, beyond this letter. The idea of immediately judging a prophecy was not in order to judge people as to whether they were, quote, false prophets or not, but to judge the content of the message. And the word judge here doesn't mean throw stones, it means discern. This, thankfully, has become more prevalent today where a group of prophetic people offer what they believe the Holy Spirit is showing them and then they unpack it together and seek to clarify any unclear parts. 
This makes for a much purer and much more helpful ministry and gives freedom for folks to step out uh, and, and practice without fear of being rejected or labeled. Helps us discern, helps us grow. The whole purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in the, in the context of the body of believers is to help us grow up. In the Old Testament, a false prophet was not necessarily one who spoke something that did not come to pass, for there were false prophets who accurately prophesied events that did come to pass. But a false prophet was more one who spoke in order to seduce people away from the true God. So, therefore, a false prophet could be stoned. But in the New Testament, there is a much... Uh, greater understanding of the purpose of prophecy as uh, what I just said, uh, a means for the whole body to to learn to move in the Spirit, to edify, exhort, and comfort one another. Uh, and so there's <laughs> hopefully not so much of a tendency for people to want to stone other people. Although sadly, there are small-minded legalists that are always ready to pick up a rock. Uh, I'm, I'm ad-libbing here. There's, I'm, I didn't write all this into this letter. Anyway, it goes on to say, when it comes to the high-profile prophets of today that speak nationally, it gets a bit more complicated. How do we wade through it all? It is not just self-proclaimed prophets But we also have many people from all walks of life who are having dreams and revelations and visions, etc. Many of them seem to affirm each other, while many also seem to totally contradict each other. What do we do with the ones who claim that they are getting words from the Lord to, quote, prepare for the rapture, for instance? I don't even believe in a pre-tribulation, any minute rapture, as they describe it. So how am I to uh, respond to their so-called prophecy? I think it comes out of their doctrinal preaching position uh, and mixes with their own imagination, and they offer it as prophecy. I don't say that to be unkind or disrespectful, but it's just where I, I am. And it's how I would respond to people who ask me. Now that's just one tiny example. Uh, What about Trump being elected for a second term? Uh, I wish we had a few hours together face-to-face on that subject, for it is something we need to be able to unpack and examine together in order to be clear and thorough. But I will try to at least address it to some degree here. Prophecy is not always black and white. Prophecy is not always set in stone. If you do this, then this will occur. Well, there are cases where it is that black and white. But there are many others that are not. God tells Jonah, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed, period. Nineveh repented. God did not destroy them. Was Jonah then a false prophet? Obviously not. There are many other examples. Paul tells the boat captain in Acts chapter 27, verse 22, 
that there will not be any loss of life even though he had warned them not to leave uh, the har- harbor. But they did leave the harbor, ended up in a terrible storm. The Lord speaks to Paul and says there'll be no loss of life. But then in verse 31, Paul adds, anyone who leaves the ship will be lost. There are many other examples we could uh, see where a prophetic word is black and white, but has aspects that can alter the outcome. This is true on this level, but is also true on a national level. What did we as the church fail to see and obey that may have altered the recent outcome of political events? What did we miss in our interpretation of the needed unfolding of events that we're still in? How does prayer and repentance alter a bad end toward a good one? Are those who saw a good outcome false prophets? Or are they prophets who jumped the gun and spoke what they wanted without discernment? Did they do as the prophet Jeremiah refers to, uh, prophets who speak out of one another's mouth? In other words, rather than hearing straight from God, they just heard from one another and operated in a horizontal instead of a vertical prophetic flow. We need to be more discerning, and they needed to be more circumspect. We know in part, we prophesy in part, so do not despise prophecy. I would that you all prophesy, Moses said. It seems to be a body-wide learning curve we must continually work through as we grow, learn, battle, and speak the truth the best we can. Joel chapter 2 tells us that in the end of the age, the final outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right before the harvest and, and the close of this age, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Upon my servants and on my handmaids will I pour out my Spirit And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. So the outpouring of the Spirit and the flow of the gift of prophecy throughout the whole body of Christ is a clear plan of the Holy Spirit for the close of the age. And so we need to learn how to discern that. Okay, uh, I know you can't tell what I'm writing in this letter and what I'm ad-libbing in response to it. Um, rather than make this uh, an organized uh, step-by-step teaching, I just want to talk to you a a bit about the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in relation to how things have unfolded in the last 40-plus years, 50-plus years, as the Holy Spirit has, has been restoring the gifts of the Spirit to the church in order to help the church grow up and mature. Um, Any remodeling job looks like a mess before it looks good. Uh, Anybody who's ever had their house remodeled can tell you the wisest thing to do is leave and don't come back till the job is finished unless you want to 
have a heart attack from the horrible mess that it has to be before it becomes a, a, a well-ordered, beautiful, finished job. And uh, the, 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 the messy craziness of the last few decades in the life of the church is a great example of that. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could have sometimes left the planet and come back after it was all over. But uh, let me let me try to uh, just pull back the curtain and talk about some of the things that began to unfold in those early days. And uh, if 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 I need to do this in a more organized teaching way, I will bite the bullet and do that. But I'm hoping I might be able to cover enough of the questions here that that we won't have to do that. But if we have to, we will. I recognize that I've got several subjects that I promised you we would unpack more in detail, and I'm not doing that in consecutively. I'm, I'm bouncing around a bit because I keep getting uh, questions from people, and they're, they're important questions, and they're, they're pressing questions. And so uh, I'm just going to take them as they come and... Uh, Trust the Holy Spirit to, to guide us as we go. When I was first filled with the Spirit in 1971, I was uh, 17 years old. And uh, I didn't know anything about the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know anything about tongues. I didn't know anything about prophecy. I didn't know anything about any of that. Uh, I just knew I was hungry for for God. And uh, the night that I was filled with the Spirit, uh, a a man prayed with me, and uh, I began to pray and speak uh, in what turned out to be a fluent Chinese dialect because there was a, a young lady there from that part of China and said, she said that I was speaking uh, fluently in her childhood dialect. Uh, it was a wonderful, powerful experience. Uh, it did not take me long for that experience to take me right into pretty powerful spiritual warfare. In fact, the night I got home that night after this wonderful experience, I had one of the worst migraine headaches of my life. I'd had several migraine headaches as a child, uh, sometimes almost violent ones. And it was because of the the warfare uh, that was set in motion inside me between uh, the light that had poured in and the darkness that was wanting to hold on and, and keep control of its territory. And uh, later on, I was completely healed of those headaches. And as I've said before, some of you have heard me say, uh, I don't get a headache now when I deserve one. Uh, But uh, I used to get them uh, regularly. But along with that strange warfare, I almost immediately began to experience what I can only call knowing things about people. 
I was just barely 18. I was about to turn 18. I was a freshman in college. And uh, I was going through all the struggles that many of you have heard me talk about in my early life. Uh, struggles which I didn't get the answers to uh, for, for almost two decades. Uh, but I was seeking the Lord with all I knew how. And he knew that. And he was drawing me by his grace toward more and more revelation and insight. But along the path of my own struggle, I would know things about other people. And I didn't know any better than to say to them what I, what I knew. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul mentions nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, I don't want to get off into too much detail here, but Paul is not giving us an organized, step-by-step, systematic unfolding of what is called by some, quote, the nine gifts of the Spirit. There are many gifts of the Spirit. Paul is not giving an exhaustive list of the, quote, gifts of the Spirit. He's just listing various kinds of gifts. It just so happens they fall into three categories, uh, the vocal gifts, the miraculous gifts, and the revelatory gifts. But there are other vocal gifts and other revelatory gifts and other power gifts that are not listed there. Uh, so I don't, I, I don't want you to think uh, in terms of Paul giving a detailed list. All these gifts might come under the heading of prophesying. Because prophesying just means at its basic root to speak forth. And so when he talks, you know, some, some really poor, poor translations of the New Testament will you, uh, interpret the word prophecy as preaching. No, prophecy is not preaching. It's funny that even though uh, these, these people who interpret the scriptures that way will we'll call that preaching and then they'll turn right around and say that women should not preach but then they translate uh, Philip's daughters in the book of Acts who are, are all called prophetesses they'll they'll say well they do they preach no they'll they'll translate that prophetess uh, but then they'll say that all prophecy is preaching it gets really really confusing uh, unnecessarily confusing because it's the confusion is generated by prejudices. Prejudices against women ministry can make them uh, not know how to translate a prophetess when they've already said that all preaching is prophesying and all prophesying is preaching. Now they've got an interpretive difficulty they've created for themselves, if I'm making any sense. I hope I am. Uh, the fact is that the operation of prophecy is not the same thing as preaching, although sometimes under the anointing of preaching, I have seen both men and women come under a powerful anointing where you could tell what they're preaching has moved into another realm and they are speaking with an authority and power and pointedness uh, that is beyond the normal presence that is on a sermon. 
and they're, they're, they're really prophesying. And you, you've seen that, I'm sure. So I, I would have operations in me of words, what Paul calls the word of knowledge, a speaking forth of knowledge that is beyond my natural knowledge. I would, I would know things. I remember uh, saying to a lady uh, that was in a meeting, uh, you've just come from a fortune teller. On your way to this meeting, you, you stopped by to visit a fortune teller because you're afraid if God won't answer you that maybe you can find answers through other sources. And the Lord wants you to know that uh, he loves you and he's not mad at you, but he wants you to put away your pursuit of false voices and pursue him and look only to him. Well, she came to the Lord that night. She put away her false pursuits of the occult. Uh, I didn't know her. I'd never seen her before. Uh, that was the one of the first times that this came through me. And the more it came through me, the more fluent, I, I, I guess I could use the word fluent, the more fluently it manifested. Uh, let me just say here quickly, that does not constitute that that I'm a prophet. Although I am now operating in the full-time ministry of the prophetic, the prophetic is not just someone who prophesies. Um, all of us may operate in a, a prophetic anointing. All of us may have a word. Uh, the Holy Spirit can use anybody. Uh, sometime there's some really amusing stories about that, and I won't, I won't, I won't give in to the temptation to tell all the funny stories I remember about it. But I'll never forget one one church uh, meeting where somebody prophesied, "Do not be afraid, though I myself have been afraid many times." <laughs> I don't think it takes a great gift of discernment to figure out that that's not probably a real word from God. But you don't pick up a rock and throw it at that person because they're a false prophet. They're, first of all, they're not a prophet at all. They're prophesying. And what they're prophesying is incorrect, unscriptural, probably coming out of their own fears, obviously coming out of their own fears, but God's not mad at them for prophesying something so obviously wrong as much as he's probably pleased with their attempt to step out and try to exercise some form of giving to other people. He, This person was trying to be comforting. Uh, he ends up just being really kind of funny. But thankfully, the leaders in that meeting had enough sense to recognize not only do we not affirm this, but we don't injure the person either by coming down on them and embarrassing them and making a show of them in front of people. Uh, they were able to bring a gentle, correcting word to that word while later on putting an arm around this person and uh, helping them understand, which was very, very unusual that there was that level of sensitivity and care in those early days because actually 
in in those early days of the 1970s when I was just beginning to learn these things, there was not a lot of wisdom and guidance and protection from error. And there was not the wisdom to judge prophecy uh, as uh, Paul tells us to in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We we did not have the wisdom to judge prophecy. I, by the mid-1970s, I was, for good or for ill, I was very well known and, and highly uh, sought after for the operation of the gift of, quote, prophecy. Uh, and uh, we, we know in part, we prophesy in part, uh, prophecy can become despicable because if it's not judged properly, it can get out of hand and it can end up being a loose cannon. And so uh, between the years of 1974 and uh, on through to the 1980s, I was on many, many college campuses and in many uh, churches, both on this side of the ocean and across the ocean. I remember I was uh, at Oxford, uh, England, and the newspaper got wind of what I was there for, and they had a big blurb in the newspaper calling me clairvoyant, playing off the word clairvoyant, uh, not understanding that there's a big difference between clairvoyance, which is a, a soulish and can be an occult second sight kind of thing that may have demonic elements in it, and the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. And uh, there was a person who came to that meeting in Oxford who I didn't know was one of the representatives from the newspaper, and I was able to tell her uh, some things about herself, some things about her private life, not embarrassing things, but things only she knew. And it turned out she was uh, a, a, a news reporter who had uh, come to check out my, quote, clairvoyance. Well, the Holy Spirit used all of that, but here's here's my great concern about those years. They were, I could tell many, many stories, wonderful stories, uh, but I could also tell some not-so-wonderful stories. And that was because we did not wisely judge prophecy. Uh, I was, first of all, too young to be put in such a position of high-profile leadership. I look back on those days, and I think some of the young people that served me and picked me up at the airport and carried my bags and treated me like a celebrity, they were far more trustworthy and far wiser and far more godly in their character than I was. I was still struggling with a lot of secret sin uh, because I had not uh, been healed of the sexual brokenness from my, my background. I was barely a kid. I was just a kid myself. 
And uh, But I was sought after for my gifts. And the great danger that became well known during that era was exalting people for their gifts. And uh, I had very poorly developed character. And God in his great love and mercy had to put me through the fire of personal private cleansing to get to the roots of those character issues while at the same time I was fluently moving in these gifts. But gifts are not character. Gifts are, guess what? Gifts. They're given by another for another, and I'm just a messenger boy. But it's so easy, so easy to get puffed up in your own eyes. Uh, and the Lord didn't let me, He didn't. on one level, he didn't let me get puffed up in my own eyes. On one level, he really let me feel the weight of the pain I would speak over people, call people out, tell them about themselves. They would burst in tears because of the accuracy of what I was saying. And then I would go back to my hotel room and I would burst in tears for, for the reason of, I would say to God, don't, please don't, don't do that to me anymore. Don't let me move like this. I'm, I'm not faithful. I'm not trustworthy. My life is not clean. My mind is a sore. I'm tempted in all kinds of ways and giving in to some of those temptations. And uh, how could you use me? How could you pick me? Uh, why would you use me? But God was using all of that to bring me to the end of myself and to do a deeper work of cleansing in my own life. But... Uh, and I, I know this uh, this is very intense for some people to hear, but it's something that we need to face. Um, anytime there is a flow of of supernatural gifts, that flow uncovers character issues. All during the charismatic renewal of the 70s and early 80s, where there were great manifestations of gifts, there was also great warfare. And where there was great warfare, there was great uncovering of character flaws. Uh, I, I could give too many examples. I don't need to. You're getting the point, I think. But uh, the, 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 the terrible mistake of, of thinking that great impressive manifestations of gifts... This not only refers to, to prophecy, it refers to healing gifts and miracles. And so what if somebody moves in miracle power? Uh, that doesn't mean that every word they say is right. And so people would move in healing uh, ministry, and there would be people that were healed, and then all of a sudden uh, this person would think, well, I'm, a, I'm an expert on everything. And they would start start pontificating on all kinds of things that were outside their anointing, outside their education, outside their realm of expertise or giftings, and they would end up becoming shipwrecked and end up shipwrecking other people. Well, I, I was in that same boat. I was operating 
in these gifts, and I was speaking to people uh, younger than me and older than me, and I was being asked to come to uh, various college campuses as well as churches, as I mentioned before. Uh, I'll give you, I'll give you one example of how how uh, woundedness in us can mix with our spirit and. You know how sometimes you drink water out of a hose pipe and the water t- picks up the flavor of the rubber hose pipe? Any of you that grew up like I did, drinking out of a old green hose pipe, the water always tasted like rubber. Well, I, I went through a, a, a situation in, uh, in 1974 that was very painful. Someone very close to me uh, hurt me very much, and another friend who was aware of that conflict, he said, "Don't don't worry about it." He said, "This will all be over in about six weeks. It'll come and go." He said, "I've seen it before. It'll come and go." Well, the pain of it uh, drove me away from school, and I went into full time ministry, which is just insane to me now. Uh, the thought of the age of twenty leaving college and going into, quote, full-time ministry. Uh, but but that's what happened. I, I went into, I, I began to travel all the time. And I would m- move in the gift of prophecy. And uh, I went to a church one time in Nashville, and I spoke over people and prophesied over people, and I would tell them things about themselves, and it would be accurate. And then the the pastor, a couple of, months later called me and he said I I really appreciated you coming to be with us and uh, all of our people were greatly blessed by what you had to say and so much of what you had to say has come to pass in people's lives though some things uh, are going to take more time to unfold but he said I want to ask you something and again this this was a good he was a good pastor but he was asking me a 20 year old who barely had enough experience to know what I was doing. He was asking me to clarify for him uh, a problem, and that was this. He said, uh, I notice, and he said, our people noticed, couldn't help but notice, you you put a, a six-week time limit on every word that you spoke over people. You would say, this is going to happen in six weeks. So-and-so and so-and-so, and and this is going to happen in six weeks. And uh, over and over, I would would add this six-week time limit. The minute he said it, uh, I I knew what was wrong. I knew what was wrong because the pain of it came up in me. I had so internalized that word from my friend, well-meaning word, and he, I mean, he had good reason to believe he was telling me the truth, but it didn't work out that way. It didn't get clarified in six weeks. It, six weeks became uh, actually eventually a number of years before it was was brought to healing. But I had so internalized that hope that within six weeks this conflict and this loss would be healed and alleviated in my life 
that that had mixed with my flow of prophetic gifts. And I was saying to people, true words, the water flowing through me was right, but it was mixing with the flavor of of the hose pipe. Me, the, the hose pipe. And uh, was I was I a false prophet? Well, certainly not. I was not a false prophet for that reason. Now, I, I could have been a false prophet for another reason. Uh, that was that I was tempted sometimes because of my sexual sin. I was tempted to use my ability to talk to people and to read people as a means of seducing them. I never did it, but I was tempted to do it. I remember I was in Sacramento, California, again, 1974. Maybe this was 1975. Uh, and, and I was tempted to actually use my ability to read into people as a means of seducing them to get what I wanted sexually. And you talk about the supernatural intervention of God. The Lord, if I can use this terminology, the Lord seemed to come down into the hotel room where I was. He was already with me anyway, I know that. But I mean, his manifest presence. And he he took me to Second Peter chapter 2. If you read Second Peter chapter 2, it talks there in some detail about false teachers and false prophets and false brothers who use their influence to seduce and draw people off into the dark with them. And I, I've never had scripture so clearly manifested to me like neon light going off in my face. And I, I fell on my knees and asked God to forgive me. So how in the world could God have used you if you were that messed up? You think you want to know that question. I'm telling you, I had the same struggle. But I'm telling you this crazy story. It'd be easier, see, for me to just make this a, a, a teaching and use a lot of scripture and go into all the details of uh theories about how the gifts of the Spirit operate and so forth. I, I don't really want to do that. I want you to understand we have this treasure in earthen vessels. My name is Clay. Uh, you talk about being aware of being an earthen vessel. Uh, and, and, and Paul goes on to say there, we have this treasure in earthen vessels and he says, if, if we purge ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, we will become a, a, a vessel of gold and silver. But gold and silver is tried in the fire. And I had to be tried in the fire to purge out of me this terrible mixture that was trying to rise in me and flow through me. I would have become a false prophet for sure. It don't matter how much how accurate my prophetic words would have been. I would have been a false prophet because my character 
was false. My faithfulness to Jesus was false. That's why when I hear about young people who are moving in all kinds of gifts of the Spirit and they're seeing great miracles of healing on the streets, and that's all wonderful, but it doesn't mean a thing if they're sleeping around and being immoral and fornicating and living a life of impurity and immorality. I could care less how many miracles they see. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, uh, there'll be those in the uh, day of judgment who will say, we prophesied in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. And he will say, depart from me, you practitioners of iniquity. I never knew you. There is no intimacy between me and you. You move in psychic power or you move in even supernatural charismatic power. But you don't know me because you have not drawn near to me with your heart. And you move in gifts, but you don't come to the cross. Well, the Lord Jesus loved me, and he would not let me go. And so he put me through the fires, the necessary fires, uh, to purge that out, that mixture out of me. You know, James says, Bitter water and sweet water coming out of the same spigot? That shouldn't be. Well, it shouldn't be, but sadly it is until the uh, impure is purged out. Uh, See, legalistic, small-minded, black-and-white thinking will say, uh, well, you should be... uh, If you're born again, there wouldn't be that mixture in you. Well, that's why there's so many people that get so badly hurt by church or or hurt in churches because they have been given the impression that being born again means being born full-grown. I don't know anybody who's born full-grown. If you're born again, it implies that you've got to grow up. I had to grow up. Uh, and God grew me up, and he's still growing me up. But, uh, you know, these silly legalisms like, well, we, you know, we don't know if he's really saved or not, because, you know, he still smokes. I mean, that kind of silliness. Uh, we don't know if he's still, if he, if he's really a true believer or not, because, you know, he still struggles with his old past now and then. Well, don't we all struggle with our old past, unless we're just liars? Or Pharisees, uh, yeah. We, we, we so he who has begun a good work in us will finish it. But that means it began, and the process will take as long as it takes for it to be completed. Uh, he will perfect that which pertains to me. Job says, "I shall when I come through the fire, I shall be tried by the fire. But when I when I come through the fire, I shall be as gold." So, yes, uh, we have this vessel, we, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, uh, and the vessel may be uh, of gold and silver if it's come through the fire, and you've let the fire do its work, but if you have rejected the fire, then you may end up just being a, a clay pot. And I was a clay pot until I went through the fire where the gold and silver could be brought forth. I hope I hope that's making some sense. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting fully yet to the point that I wanted to address in this message. 
uh, and that is how do we discern the gifts of prophecy on the national scale? But right now I'm talking about uh, our private personal struggles and uh, the, the issues that are related to our private personal lives. If we understand that on a personal local level, then we'll be more uh, in a position to understand how it all operates on a, a higher, more national and international level. So uh, is this making some sense to you? I would much rather have this conversation in a, a circle of believers together. That's how this subject was meant to be unpacked. Every reference to it in the New Testament is in the context of corporate gathering of believers. And uh, it, it, it's never fully understood well from a uh, perch of uh, public uh, electronic uh, communication. Uh, it, it's, it's meant to be unpacked and worked through in a family of loving, committed, bonded, believing uh, people who care for one another, are patient with one another, and uh, understand one another's weaknesses and struggles. That was the context it was meant to be uh, uh, learned in. And so uh, one of the reasons why we, we have so much confusion right now is because we have been given for good or for bad, and I know there's good to it, and there's bad to it. I love electronics except when I hate it. I hate electronics except when I love it. But uh, when you have a culture that uh, where people are alone and separate from one another, but they are gaining information from one another electronically, and it spreads like wildfire, then people begin to quote to one another what they heard the last prophet say, and then they quote it to somebody else, and they quote it to somebody else. And then people start saying, see, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. Well, yeah, that's true in a proper context, but if, if all you're doing is quoting horizontally what you heard someone else say, and all they're doing is quoting what they heard someone else say, it's like that old silly game that we all know so well, uh, telephone, you know, where you start saying something, and by the time it gets all the way around, it's totally different from what it started out to be. Or in this case, it's exactly the same that it started out to be. It's just you're using getting it from several different locations as being proof that it's true. Well, that's not the way this works. Uh, I mean, even, even now, right now, you're, you're hearing me through an electronic mechanism. Uh, we're not in the same room together. Of course, all of you have access to me. You can contact me directly to challenge what I'm saying or correct what you think I'm saying that's wrong or to interact with me as much as you want to. But that's still, even that is not the same as us doing life together. What I long for, and what I believe the Holy Spirit is doing, is making us all hungry to, to get together, to be together, to, to walk together. I know some of you are in areas where you don't have a church where there's any freedom to move in these things, but, uh, 
my, my challenge to you would be go to a church. Go, I, I hate that term, go to a church. That's not, that's not what I mean. I'm just falling back into the habit of, of vernacular that's not scriptural. Go gather with a group of believers, even if they don't operate in these things, and then begin to intercede for them and begin to pray for them. I know uh, one couple that is very close to Mary and me, uh, filled with the Spirit, and they walk in the power of the Spirit, uh, but they they go to a gathering of believers that doesn't walk in the power of the Spirit. So they begin to intercede for that group, and uh, here there's some there's some changes taking place in that group. Uh, people are beginning to awaken. They're beginning to ask questions. The leadership is beginning to uh, teach on things that uh, they stayed away from for too long. See, the pressure of the era that we live in will require us all to grow up. But even more than that, the, the promise of God is that he will make us grow up. He will bring us into the fullness of Ephesians chapter four and five. Uh, we will become the full mature body of Christ through the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, doing the work of the ministry to teach us how to do the work of the ministry so that we can all grow up together. Uh, and so uh, there's a lot of reasons why the Lord might allow the confusion and frustration that has arisen on the national scale concerning the prophetic. And I've already spent too much time on the more private issue of the prophetic, so I probably am going to have to address this more uh, 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 concerning the national issues in a separate message. Uh, I, would <laughs> I would rather not... But anyway, the Lord will he'll direct me, I pray. But let me just say one more thing in, in closing about what I've been saying so far. The great mistake that we made in the 1970s in the Jesus movement, at least the, mistake that, the, the mistakes that were made in the circles that I moved in, and I believe that was true across the board because I've, I've been all over the United States and lots of parts of Canada and Europe and I hear the same stories over and over. Everybody tells the same story, but they all tell it as if they were the only ones that experienced it, and we were all experiencing it. And that is that when there began to be a restoration of the gifts of the Spirit, we all became so enamored with the gifts themselves that we embraced the gifts without uh, dealing with character flaws and character issues in our lives. And as a result of that lack of understanding, there was not an obedient response to Paul's clear warning that prophecy must be discerned, that you are not to just prophesy helter-skelter and then everybody ooh and ah over it because it was accurate or revelatory or impressive. Uh, there should be an immediate on-the-spot judging of what was wrong, if there was anything wrong, or there needed to be wise pastoral guidance to those over whom the prophetic word was spoken. Now, that brings me to another point. Is there 
is there a personal prophecy? Uh, most prophecy in Scripture is to the whole gathering. Some prophecy are to individuals. Agabus prophesies to Paul, and that prophetic word is confirmed by several other prophets. They're, they're speaking to Paul personally, privately. Timothy is prophesied over by the elders. Paul says, remember the prophetic words that were spoken over you at your ordination, and by those prophetic words, fight a good warfare. See, prophecy should equip you to fight a good warfare. Prophecy should uh, strengthen, exhort, comfort, and uh, correct. Prophecy should never control. Prophecy should never be so foreign to you that it sounds like something you've never heard of before. Prophecy should be something of a confirmation of what you already know from the Lord in your own heart. Uh, Most of the time, there might be exceptions to that, but for the most part, that's true. But because prophecy has the power to be directive or corrective or instructive and can cause people to therefore erroneously change the plans they have for their lives in such a way that it could reroute their whole future, then that prophecy needs to be discerned and pastorally discussed and prayed over, and it needs to be slowly unpacked. Uh, You know, you, you don't just obey somebody who says, I see you. I see you as a missionary in Mexico. Uh, thus saith the Lord. And uh, so the next day you quit your job and pack up and move to Mexico. That's craziness. You discern it. But see, back in the 70s, we we almost did stuff like that. I, I spoke words over college students. And I, I pray that this didn't happen, but I, I have to I have to wonder, did my prophetic words give them redirection in a way that was not ultimately helpful for them? Uh, Everybody thought, some people thought the rapture was going to happen by 1980, so they didn't bother to finish getting trained for their careers or uh, getting their education. They just... They quit everything and became evangelists. And a lot of those young people ended up being shipwrecked in their faith because they became embittered and angry and frustrated uh, over uh, the the hardships and difficulties that came along with the territory of spiritual warfare. And sometimes the prophetic word was inaccurate or it was directive in a way that was not wise. Or it was a mixture of the the prophetic voice mixing with their own human elements, uh, causing an imposition of uh, confusion. Uh, so why would God allow that? Why couldn't it be a pure, perfect word? So you have to grow up. The fact that we have those questions, and I'm, I don't fault you for asking that question, yet I guess I do kind of fault you for asking that question, that's the kind of question children ask. You know, why wasn't it perfect? Why wasn't it? Why do we have to discern? Why do we have to uh, 
pray our way through? Why do we have to take things slowly and uh, and chew them and digest them and uh, bite size? Why can't we just get a clear black and white directive and just go with it? I'm sure the Apostle Paul wondered that when he went on his first missionary journey, and it was mostly a disaster. I mean, preachers don't preach it that way, but if you if you really study the history of it, uh, when he when he goes up into um, that the route that he took, I mean, it was mostly mostly a disaster. It was right after he and Barnabas had had a big fight. I mean, a big fight. Uh, you hear people talk about Paul and Barnabas's disagreement. Well, the Greek word there is a word, that's where we get the word paroxysm. There was just a, 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 I mean, it was a big fight. So much so that he and Barnabas never, they never seemed to reconnect. And right after that big fight, Paul takes off on his missionary trip. (laughs) I wouldn't want to go off on a dangerous trip with a bad spirit between me and my brother. I just wouldn't. Uh, but that's, that, see, we have this treasure in human vessels. Human vessels. God is sovereignly watching over what he is freeing us to wrongly mess up. So that by going through the reclamation of the mess up, we grow and mature and are sanctified through the process. And uh, some of you may be, you may, some of you hearing me right now, you may still be bitter over a misdirected prophetic word or a, a misguiding prophetic word that was spoken over you and it didn't come to pass or uh, you tried to make it come to pass and ended up in terrible shipwreck uh, or at least in, in trouble. Uh, uh, let me stop here and just pray with you. If that's you. And if that's not you, pray with me for those that that does apply to. Let's let's pray for those who might be hearing me right now. Who are, are you're hurting. You didn't know. You thought twenty, thirty, forty years ago this was settled and you put it behind you and it's a done deal, but it it may have set the course of your life in a direction that you didn't mean for it to go and you're you're mad at God you're mad at the preachers you're mad at the prophets you're mad at everybody involved you're mad at yourself and life has never been what you hoped it would be and you think well it's all a hopeless mess now Father I pray for any man or woman that I'm describing That's been their story to some degree or other. They were full of joy and vision and hope and purpose. The word of the Lord was sweet in their mouth, but boy, it has become bitter, bitter in their belly. And it all seems to be hopeless now. Doesn't have... There doesn't seem to be any way that it could ever be corrected. Joseph must have felt that way. Jacob must have felt that way. Many, many other people in Scripture, almost everybody, I can't think of hardly anybody that that doesn't apply to in some way. It, It all sounded good when it was prophesied, but boy, when it came time for it to 
to be unfolded in practical life, it just seemed to be the opposite, the total opposite of everything that was spoken. I pray, Father, where there was wrong prophecy, false prophecy, I pray, Lord, that there will be cleansing and healing and forgiving those who were instruments through whom the false word came. I pray, Father, for those who might be angry at you. They don't need to forgive you. You're holy. You're pure. You're good. They don't need to forgive you. They need to repent of misjudging you and uh, being angry, uh, maybe at the wrong things. I pray, Father, for a, a, an outpouring of the gift of discerning of spirits. I pray, Father, that you will help every person in the sound of my voice discern clearly in retrospect what happened, what should have happened, what didn't happen, and what now will happen in response to praying through this bitterness and and receiving healing for it. I pray, Father, that this prayer will continue to work in them for as long as it takes, days, weeks, months, what, as long as it takes for this prayer of healing to unravel the bonds of, of the, the chains of, of restrictive uh, confinement that this anger and frustration and disappointment and hurt has has helped produce in, in them. Lord, break those chains off of them now. Break every chain off of them and let them go free. And most of all, Father, I pray that they will see that nothing is wasted in the life of a believer, not even years of seeming wasted time or wrong direction or failed prophecy or unfulfilled vision or uh, moral failure or marriage failure or uh, whatever whatever has made a person think they are somehow a loser and can never be used can father i pray that no person will 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 in the sound of my voice would remain in a position of thinking they are a failure and they can never recover from that failure. I pray, Father, for a fresh anointing, for a fresh revelation, for fresh freedom, and for a rising like a phoenix out of the ashes, that they would rise out of the ashes of what seems like wasted years, and they will find that nothing was wasted. Even the wasted years are not wasted. They are becoming uh, sources of wisdom from which they can draw uh, to give to others and to move in uh, healing gifts and revelatory gifts and ministry gifts of service. I pray, Father, for renewed vision out of any such brokenness. In the name of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Take this, take this time after, you know, turn, turn your recorder off, whatever device you're listening on. And spend some time with the Lord. If, if what I just prayed in any way applies to you, you need to go beyond just this time with me in prayer. You need to go for a walk. You know, you need to go sit under a tree with the Lord and you need to let the pain come up and out 
You need to forgive. You need to receive forgiveness. You need to let God know, Father, I'm angry at you. I'm angry at Christianity. I'm angry at the church. I'm, I'm angry. Let all that up and out. What, what good's it doing you? What good's it doing you? Let go of it. And I don't say let go of it in the sense of just forgetting that there's any need for clarity. But let go of it so you can receive new clarity. Because holding on to it is keeping you blind and bound. And you don't need to be blind and bound. You need to be flooded with light. And that's what the Holy Spirit is giving you right now. A revelation of his purpose for you. God's not playing a nine-inning game. He plays till he wins. And he who has begun a good work in you will complete it in Jesus' name. Okay. God bless you all. And uh, Lord willing, we'll pick this up next time. Bye-bye.